Welcome back to Word Balloon, the Comic Book Conversation Show. John Suntress here. Uh, we continue with this uh, motif that I've kind of fallen into in the last couple episodes. We had Patrick Schumacher on the last episode talking about his adventures in TV with uh, the NBC show Powerless. And uh, today we talk about Winona Earp, uh, a great series that is on Sci-Fi Channel. The second season starts uh, this Friday, and uh, we've got Winona Earp's father, Bo Smith, with us. Uh, I remember when Bo was talking about this concept. I I didn't read the initial 90s run of Winona Earp, but I certainly... uh, Kept abreast of it with my conversations with Bo and um, IDW uh, a few years ago decided to do some more stories after reprinting the original image series. And then, uh, you know, things took off and it's great to hear the whole story behind uh, the television side of Winona because inadvertently uh, the TV show is a prequel to Bo's original comics. That's kind of fun. And we talk about that unique position uh, given where the story of the television show begins. Emily Andrus, really the whole cast, has uh, done such an amazing job with the TV series. It's a lot of fun. And uh, first season's on Netflix if you uh, need to catch up before Friday's uh, premiere of season two. And uh, also, uh, they've incorporated the cast to help uh, Bo write uh, new uh, stories. So that's kind of neat. And now uh, the current... IDW series is Winona Earp Season Zero, which takes place before the television show and uh, kind of shows you how everything kind of comes together. But we talk about the characters and their relationships, its unique position in comics and now in television as well, how the television fandom has uh, responded so positively towards Bo. And honestly, this is great because uh, you'll forgive us because we're, we're too, you know, this is a nice, uh, you know, white guy to white guy talk about this great uh, series about women and very powerful women. Uh, it, it it just works. And, and truly, uh, I think, uh, as you know, again, Bo, it's Bo's story, Winona Earp and everything. But really, I know the television series has clearly uh, it re-energized him. And has only provided him, as I say in the interview, with this opportunity to tell all these stories in between the television series and where the comic books started. So there's a lot of, you know, territory, if you'll forgive the uh, expression, to cover in this great story about Winona Earp. And uh, I, I am. I'm very happy for Bo. And you can tell how, how pleased and genuinely appreciative he is of uh, this new audience, this new female audience. And so, really, if we come off as, as you know, chauvinist pigs, let me apologize up front, but I don't think so. I, I think you know our hearts are in the right place if we if we make any missteps. But truly, I, I think this is a really, really cool thing. And, uh, again, I think it's only opened uh, my eyes as a fan and Bo's, uh, you know, creative energies to, to go a lot further with the character. Really neat and a pleasure to talk once again, to Bo Smith, it's been far too long as I apologize. I mean, literally, I think 2008 might, might have been the last time Bo has been on Warbling, so it's been about nine or ten years. So, But great to have him back. Uh, also, a uh, little uh, DC talk because uh, they've been reprinting uh, the Batman Wildcat stories in a, in a new trade edition. And uh, we revisit some uh, things that he wanted to do with uh, not only Wildcat but Catwoman. And so uh, there's, a, there's a taste of that as well. But it's uh, 90% Winona Earp talk on today's Word, or Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. A couple more people have uh, joined the League by uh, subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon. 
Uh, Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But if you feel like you, uh, Word Balloon gives you uh, a little more uh, enjoyment of the hobby of uh, being into comics and uh, the comics-related world, and uh, you've got the spare money, uh, I hope you'll consider subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon. Go to wordballoon.com. You can click on the Patreon ad there, or you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. And uh, if you if you think do you think Word Balloon is uh, worth the price of a comic? Let me just put it that way. So hopefully you do. Uh, regardless, uh, it's uh, I'm very appreciative with uh, the people that are helping me out and uh, making it possible for me to go to some more conventions, connect with more people, and uh, get things going. So thank you again, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Instock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, there's some really neat uh, collections on sale this week from in-stock trades. I want to start with The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu uh, because that was a great black-and-white magazine that, man, uh, you had the Sons of the Tiger in there, you had the White Tiger in there, um, a, a more Iron Fist stories, Shang-Chi certainly was part of it as well, but uh, really neat stuff. And, it, you know, I mean, this is really, you get a lot of early uh, George Perez work, uh, Bill Matlow and George Perez introduced uh, Hector Ayala, the original White Tiger, and uh, Jack of Hearts was in there, um, Daughters of the Dragon. It's so great. And now there's this big uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu Omnibus Volume 2, and um, it's, uh, there's even an Earl Norum cover that got it. You know, if it, I think it probably was an original cover. One of the versions you can get has the you know, cover that used to be uh, one of the covers of the Marvel magazine. Pretty neat stuff. It's uh, 50% off, $62.50. You can get Trinity, hardcover volume one, better together. Francis Manipal doing the writing and the artwork. Got to get Francis back to talk about this stuff. But uh, this turned out really nice. It was the first arc of uh, Trinity, part of uh, DC Rebirth. It's uh, 50% off and $12.49. You can get Star Wars Volume 2. Uh, let's see. It's got a uh, Terry, uh, Terry Dodson cover, but this is, uh, let's see, who wrote this? A lot of writers are doing stuff here. Let's see. It collects uh, Star Wars uh, 15 through 25 and their first annual. It's uh, 42% off. Jason Aaron is in there. Lanil Yu, um, a few others, but 42% off. It's $20.29. What else have we got? That's just a couple. Uh, there's the Goon. Goon Library, hardcover volume 5. Eric Powell at his best. 416 pages. 42% off. It's just $28.99. Just a few of the great books you can get from InStockTrades.com. We'll tell you more on the, the back end of the show. But uh, check out the deals for yourself. InStockTrades.com. All right. Without further ado, let's welcome Bo Smith back to talk about the Winona Earp phenomenon that uh, I hope to get into more with uh, my various uh, connections out there and uh, hoping to uh, get some of the uh, hope to get Emily on the showrunner and also uh, maybe maybe a cast member or two. Uh, we'll see what I can work out with my friend Allison Baker to make that happen. But uh, in the meantime, Winona Earp's father, Bo Smith himself, now on Word Balloon. I'm embarrassed that it has been at least 10 years since I've spoken to Bo Smith on Word Balloon. No, it hadn't been that long. It will. Yeah, no, I think you're just about right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I well, apologies, man, but welcome back and Jesus, congratulations, man. I'm really this is this is really great. I'm so glad that Winona Earp has taken off as as much as it has. Well, thank you very much. But I tell you what, I want to thank you for John is not saying, Bo, you're getting what you deserve. You deserve this because 
We all know if I got what I deserve to be a six benign cell. <laughs> I am not joking. So, you know, I just blind pig found the acorn and uh, it worked out all right. Well, I got to say, uh, to start off, because I remember you, you brought Winona back uh, around 2010, 2011. I mean, you know, IDW republished the original stuff, but then uh, they wanted more, right? Yeah, we did um, uh, the Yeti Wars graphic novel, and then we also, after that, we, we spread it out into uh, separate issues. Uh, Enrique Villagran, uh, God rest his soul, did the uh, did the art on that, and it was... It was actually the the part that uh, Emily Andrus, the showrunner and writer for Winona Earp, that's what really caught her with Winona Earp. I think she read that first, then she went back and read the stuff from 96 on. And the part about the Yeti Wars that she liked so well was the relatability and the humor. So it was from there she goes, well, this is great. Not only does she fight paranormal things, but she's got a sense of humor. And that was always my point with Winona Earp was the point she was relatable and she was funny. And there's not enough, in my never humble opinion, there's not enough superheroes or fantasy. There's just not enough fictional characters with a sense of humor anymore. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, you know, God, uh, I think DC treats its superhero movies deathly serious. Even Suicide Squad really kind of missed the funny. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And also, again, coming at a time when women are screaming for heroes, and de- deservedly so, and it's great that, you know, Emily got it and, and you know, got I mean, tell me in terms of, all right, like, when, whenever they let you know, hey, we're interested. I mean, well, tell me the process. How did this happen where you found out that this thing was going to get some traction beyond the comics and, and, you know, become something bigger. I tell you, John, it, it actually really started in 1996 when Ted Adams, who was then, he and I had worked at Image, Com- I mean, at uh, Eclipse Comics together, and then he went to Dark Horse and Wildstorm from there. And when he was at Wildstorm, I was with Image. Mm-hmm. And, and he, from day one, and this is no business exaggeration, said, you know, this needs to be a TV series. And, you know, Ted and I have been buddies for years, and I was just going, oh, well, thanks, Ted. I appreciate that. I thought, you know, he's been a buddy. He was supporting me. But he continued every time an issue would come out, whether it was Image, anybody, he was always, you know, this needs to be a TV series. So when he started IDW up with the boys, that was one of the very first things, even though they were just doing the Ashley Wood book at that point. He goes, this needs to be a TV series. He never stopped believing in it. He had the vision that this would make a good serial-type television uh, series. And even when I was going, yeah, yeah, I'd make a good movie maybe. But he never and, – and that's the thing. I'll never be able to repay him for his belief in this project because at times I think he believed in it more than I did. At least he had the vision for it. And when, when he was at IDW, we were optioned by Fox the same year that uh, Fringe and Dollhouse were uh, optioned. So we, they, had, they had one owner, Earp, Dollhouse, and uh, Fringe. Well, you know, between Joss Whedon and J.J. Abrams and Bo Smith, you know who's going to be on the ball? <laughs> we, were, we were optioned for a year and stuff. But that was 
exciting. And, and Ted, most people would have given up by then, but he did not. And he continued to push and push. He goes, we're going to find the right set of eyeballs for this. And when they talked to Emily Andrus and they talked to Sci-Fi, that actually did it. And, and, and God bless Emily Andrus because she, she really does get it. She really knew where to go. And I knew that from the first moment she sent the television series Bible Manual and Pilot. I said, this is different from my wine owner because mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. I was always writing wine owner herb at the age 35 to 40 because there were not enough female characters, not only with a sense of humor, but at that age, they were all 1920. And I wanted to represent uh, a woman in her prime. So that was part of what attracted Emily as well. So when they did the television series, she goes, well, let's find out what kind of mess, you know, she was. Are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Absolutely. Okay. I'm sorry. I heard a, a beep. She wanted to, she goes, let's find out what kind of raw mess she was before she got to be 35, 40 and at her peak. And my gosh, if you watch the series, uh-huh. she nailed that. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely, so man. Well, go, yeah, you can go, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. John, you know me. I get diarrhea of the mouth. And no, but I it's never your show. story, Bo. Absolutely. No, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it happened, and it just blossomed from there. And I knew uh, from publishing it 20 years and writing it 20 years, I had my direct market comic book core audience. And in 20 years, it had gone to a certain level but was not growing Further than that. So I knew to get to a wider base, you know, for television especially, they're going to have to make changes. So I was quite prepared for those changes. Everything from uh, something as small as going from a blonde to a brunette to the age of 27 instead of 40, a lot of things. So I was quite prepared for that and and welcomed it. And I put it this way, John. I baked a loaf of bread but Emily took that bread, made sandwiches, and she's fed the world. <laughs> I have gone from almost probably 25 years of writing, being known as the titan of testosterone. All my stories were <laughs> real man, two-fisted action. Yes, and indeed. Now, Absolutely. I am the emperor of estrogen now. <laughs> I have got a fan base. Not only do I have my, my core fan base that I've always had, but now – I've got this immense female readership, and that showed itself not only at WonderCon, San Diego, and other convent, and New York, because we were in our panel room, and let's say there were 500 people that showed up to the panel. Out of that 500, 85% were women. That's great. And out of that, 75% had never read a comic book before this television show and this television show has brought them to the comics. So to me, I get to be so many readers first and you know, whether it's sex or comic books, it's always great to be the first because that's what someone's going to always remember. True. (laughs) So I'm kind of like this introduction to comic books for a lot of people. And it's been wonderful. And you figure if this would have happened to me, when I got into the business, I was probably, yeah, I was 32. Okay. Uh, I'm sure I would have screwed something up, said something stupid. But coming in at 62, but it 
It couldn't have come at a better time. A lot of people are going, oh, don't you wish this would have happened earlier? And hell no. I just screwed that up. So this John has just worked out wonderfully for me. You know, honestly, and I, from our previous conversations as well, you're a big genre fiction fan. You have an incredible eye for those, or, and, and for years would talk about it, those direct-to-video action films and things like that. Yeah. And honestly, I really think those backgrounds have... Uh, I always say that if, if there's someone young comes along, they find the cool shit and they translate it to a younger audience. And what you're describing is kind of what I think Emily was able to do with her inclusion of Winona Earp. And, I mean, there's there's some big picture stuff I want to talk to you about, and that those are kind of the areas I want to get into. But with Emily's contributions to the story... Has it opened things up for you creatively? Obviously, you're spending a lot of comic book time in the same time as the series, and rightfully so, because as you said, you had her at her peak, and now there's you know a good you know 15 or so years that you can explore not only on the show but obviously in the comics. Exactly, it's turned into um, the comic book has turned into a hybrid. It is all familiar to everyone that ever read one on Earth. But at the same time, it's not a repeat for anybody that's watched the television series. Sure. So I get to engage and play with a lot of the characters like Doc Holliday and Waverly Earp and Officer Hot that Emily has created for television. And I have my original characters, Winona Earp, uh, Bobo Del Rey and others. Mm -hmm. And I get to mix these. And I've got, unlike television, I've got an unlimited budget. So I can do all kinds of weird and wild stuff and have all the fun of the television series plus that of the comic book. And I've been so fortunate to be able to bring Melanie Scrifano and, and Tim Rosan in to co-write some of these comic books to add their voices, the voices of the television series along with mine. And again, to introduce them to comic books. So, I mean, it's just been too good to be true. And at some point they're going to catch on and I'll get thrown out of the party. <laughs> hey man, uh, it's, it seems to be going great. Um, you know, I had, uh, I had Steve Scott from IDW send me a bunch of, I'm assuming these are all the current comic books. How many, how many tie-ins are, are on the stands right now? Uh, we did issues. We had issues one through eight. Then we did a uh, two issue miniseries, uh, Legends Doc Holiday. Yes. Then we did a two issue series of Legends, the Earp Sisters. And currently, Tim Rosan and I are doing Winona Earp season zero. That's so. Awesome. Yeah. And so Doc Holiday's co writing, uh, season yeah. zero with you. And he did, he, he did doc, the, did he do both the Doc books and the sisters or just the, the Legends no. Doc book as well? The Legends Docs, Doc, he co-wrote with me, and then the Earp Sisters was co-written with me with Melanie. Sure. Okay. By the way, that's us. You know, obviously, your your lead your lead actor, as I've learned talking to TV people, is like the quarterback of the team. And yep. uh, she's she Melanie's great. I mean, really great personality. Totally comes through in her por portrayal. And you know, I mean, that's that's the thing. And you know, I'll admit it. I guess I was kind of this caveman chauvinist who wouldn't think of. <laughs> strong women and strong young women being as great and, and fun to watch in an action hero thing. I mean, honestly, it was alias, you know, 15 years ago or whatever yeah. that kind of changed my mind. And it is so great to see everyone that has come since. 
and just really killed it. And Melanie is another one that's just a just a great lead and uh, you know effective writing. And again, she she comes through. It, ultimately, you give her the ball, and she's got to make the plays, and she does. Oh, uh, she brings look, when we were doing the comic book. She had never written before, so yeah, there there was a bit of teaching and stuff. But let me tell you, her dialogue. Oh my gosh. I about peed my pants every time she turned something in because she, as a person, is naturally funny. Her timing is incredible, as it shows on the television show. But it, it it parlayed right into the comic book as well. She did not miss a beat. Now, Tim, who has been reading comics all of his life, he actually, I can say this on here, he loves comic books actually more than he does acting. <laughs> and he came in with knowing the pacing and the steps and mechanics of how comic books are not only read but 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 written as well. He just applied that. So they both brought something totally different to the table, and I was just beyond surprised. At first, I thought yeah, there's going to be some hand holding here with Melanie. I wouldn't mind that so much, but Tim and that. <laughs> but but that, there was very little of it. There really was, and it was just a wonderful surprise and. I got to say, speaking for my wife, Beth, too, since this is all started a year and a half ago, um, the whole cast and the crew, so that's, you know, on the screen and behind the screen, mm-hmm. and no exaggeration, have literally become family to us. Uh, we all talk daily throughout the year, not just about this, that, but kids, uh, babies, oh. what's going on here, what did you cook last night? And, you know, part of this at the beginning, I was expecting some some Hollywood dickery, and, and there wasn't any. Uh, everybody was, uh, you know, I told him, I said, except for talking funny, it's like you're my next-door neighbors. <laughs> and they just, and I don't know if it's because Canadians are perceived as such polite, nice people, but they they all truly uh, have become family. We took, um, this. Uh, let's see, when was it? April. April we went up. Uh, on the set, Beth and I, but this time we took our three sons who are all grown men. Okay. They're ages, uh, 34 to, to 40. Okay. And it, it was, it was just like one big family reunion thing. They got along with everybody and we just, we just settled right in. So it, it, it's a pretty amazing thing. It's a great gift to get. And, um, I can say I'm totally unworthy of it, but you know, hey, better be than Chuck Dixon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I say that because his big hands can't reach me from here. <laughs> no, I, I amen. Uh, and that's when I was introduced to your, your writing was back when you were writing with Chuck. So I, I can appreciate the nod, the slap. But uh, no, this is honestly, I, I am really impressed with how great the show is and also the opportunity uh, for comics, again, for you to really explore this you know prequel it's so funny now the the tv show is really a prequel for your original comic and that's that's a fun little twist and again gives you a lot of canvas to go through and everything it's that's really interesting i and also as you say uh you know i do think there is a different uh vibe with canadian television and film obviously instead of hollywood they just they they operate under different rules in production and um you know, I, I, I've talked about this with Kari Andrews and, and his films that he's made through the Canadian Film Board and stuff. Plus, you know, the sci-fi shows, they're, they're hit and miss. They, they're either incredible or they're like, yeah, all right. 
And and really, Winona Earp is an incredible one. Allison Baker was in uh, for C2E2 with the cast. And I wasn't able to see the panel, but I, I talked a lot with Allison. And she does publicity for people who don't uh, – listeners who don't know. And, and she's also uh, Chris Robertson's wife, so she's got a lot of comic book connections. And, yeah, she was just telling me how great the cast is and how, how much everything is clicking. And, yeah, no, it comes through. I mean, the first season is obviously on Netflix for people who don't know. I'm sure I mentioned it in the intro. And, of course, season two uh, premieres um, – is it this week on uh, Sci-Fi or next uh, week? This, this Friday this night. This Friday night. Okay, cool. Unbelievable, man. You, you mentioned Allison Baker. There is another wonderful piece to the puzzle. Allison, because she knows comics – uh, so well, but she also knows film because she was uh, part of Robert Rodriguez's crew down in Texas and stuff. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. has added her touch to all this. She has made so much of the, the the relationship between the TV series and the comic book world work seamlessly and flawlessly. And my wife Beth probably put it best. We were at San Diego last year, and I mean, it was you know it's always nuts and stuff, and they were running me and the cast to different press junkets and uh, uh, filming and in panels and stuff. And my wife goes, you know, Allison's like the kindergarten teacher, and she's hurting all of you all from one thing to another. She goes, you'd never know that these were TV stars or you're, you know, old enough to be her grandfather. And she's going, okay, come on, let's go, let's go, let's move it over here. Bo, Tim, quit talking, let's go, come on, come on. And she just does an incredible job. She is truly uh, what she does, she's a rock star. Uh, if I had her organizational skills, uh, oh, I'd, oh, I'd, I'd own half the world. <laughs> she's amazing. She I'm, truly I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Robert Rodriguez because I want to get back to this. Because, again, uh, did you used to write, wasn't it reviews for, uh, like, direct-to-video action films and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. I did them for uh, Impact Magazine, which was uh, published in London in England for so long, and uh, I did them. It was called uh, Not Fragile. Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, you know the Flying Fist, uh, the Flying Flying Fish yep. Ranch or Flying Fist Ranch. I'm an ass. Flying Fist, of course, it's fist. As in, as in, yeah, as in punch. And I did Busted Knuckles for probably 15 years. And I've always reviewed the direct to to video stuff. I've made a lot of friends on that side. People that are my heroes. Uh, Gary Daniels is is a Perfect example. Kevin Bernhard uh, is another. Cynthia Rothrock. Uh, all these people that that I looked up to, and I think that's with the Canadian production. We shouldn't lose track. I mean, it's a it's a small budget that we've got, but I swear I think that's what makes the show click because you use the most out of everything you've got, and in this case, it's the wonderful scenery of Calgary, and which a lot of people are going to see more of in season two. Cool, but. Also, Emily's idea is okay. You know, I'd like to have an alien invasion, but I can't. So I'm going to do this, this, and this. And to me, that's where the fun comes. And especially with the characters, Winona Earp, Waverly, all of them have these unique personalities. And the again, these this likability, which is, and again, I don't want to sound like somebody crying stuff, but it, it's so lax in comic books sometimes. So many of us, and I'll include myself on that, continue to buy a lot of comic books, hoping that one day it'll be, and I will use an extreme, let's say, they're all hoping, maybe Captain America will fight Nazis again. Maybe Iron Man will do this. They keep buying it. They may not even like the the issues, the storylines, but they hang in there and just thinking, 
it'll happen again. And, and I'm guilty of that as anybody. And all I ever looked for was likability and relatability. Uh, when Sergeant Fury, when I was a kid, sure. the reason I liked it so much better than Sergeant Rock, when I liked Sergeant Rock, was Sergeant Fury satisfied my action Jones I had, but at the same time, they were funnier than hell. Yep. They were busting each other's chops. They were saying, I mean, Spider-Man, his quips when he was fighting the villains, even Daredevil back then, yes. they were, they were likable. Yes. And, and that's what, you know, that's what I like and that's what I miss because if you can get your readers to have an emotional investment, the confrontation, the event, whatever you want to say is secondary because if you don't care about those characters, you're not going to come back and, it, it, Wonder Woman is a perfect example. We finally got a film that <laughs> tip, tip, it, it shows everything Wonder Woman could have been, should have been, yes. and, and, and everything. Yes. When I was growing yes. up, I always liked Wonder Woman. I always wanted to write Wonder Woman. Even when I was doing Guy Gardner, I had – and they were letting me do it at that point because Wonder Woman's sales were low. Guy Gardner's sales were low. Yeah, come on, do whatever you want. And and so I did, and I was building up a, a storyline – where Guy and Wonder Woman get married. It's it's a it's a staged marriage for the storyline, what they had to do to get uh, a group of villains to believe this, that, and the other. But what it was going to do it was going to be a turning point for Wonder Woman to show Guy the respect that none of the other superheroes did in the DC Universe. And it was also going to give Guy the chance to respect not only Wonder Woman, but women and, and other people and, and it's, again, it just doesn't go to women, but other people in general. So it softens his one-punch Batman jerk mode. But also with her, it gives her a likability. You would find out, what in the hell does Wonder Woman have on her iPod? Because, actually, you're going to care more about that than, you know, uh, what she thought about um, living on the, the island all those years. I mean – you know, that you can go to the book. But if you know what's on her iPod, you're going, oh, hell, that's on mine. Yep. You you have relatability. So, I mean, that was a, a part of my now Wonder Woman. Hopefully this will uh, really uh, get the comic book uh, in a light that, that it's needed to for a long time. I hear you, Matt. Well, you know, I think, um, I, I think more importantly, too, it's hopefully pointing DC films in the right direction. It was, it was very entertaining. I yep. saw it yesterday as we're recording, and uh, – it was the best, and I mean this in the best way, uh, a great combination of the Captain America and Thor stories, but also very much a Wonder Woman story. And really, uh, Gal Gadot has, in the, you know, a different way than um, than uh, Linda Carter did, found a, a new interpretation that is absolutely true to the character. And just everything she did was absolutely spot on. And you felt her vulnerability. You felt her strength. You felt her innocence and her experience all in one. And it didn't feel fake. And it didn't feel put on. The fight scenes were incredible. But more importantly, at the heart of it, you just have this really great actress, much like you guys are experiencing with the Herb sisters as well. I mean, these are just genuine characterizations. And I think it comes through for the audience. And, and you know what? Uh, Patty Jenkins, uh, uh, Emily Andrus, there you've got... Yes, people can go, oh, well, it takes a woman to understand a woman. Well, it, it, <laughs> I think what people are actually discovering is storytelling. Yep. Women can tell stories 
if not better, the same as equal play than men or anyone else. And I think that's actually the major breakthrough here is they have been given a chance just to be creators. And I think in the past, they have not been given the chance to be equal creators. A lot of people can say, okay, we're going to do a, a Marvel girl story. But okay, we got to get a, a girl writer. Well, that's reversed. They're not saying we got to get a, a really good writer. Uh, they're just, and then that, you know, compelling storytelling is genderless. It's, yes. you got to be a storyteller. And, and I think with Emily and, and, and people like that, you just, they, they finally, they finally got the breakthrough to the top yes. to get this chance and run with it. And I'm, nobody's happier about it. Then I am. Somebody asked me the other day, well, aren't you afraid? And this is a, a typical, what I call not a good question. They go, aren't you afraid that all these women are going to take jobs away from you? And I'm going, I've been afraid other guys are going to take the job away. I'm up, you know, hey, it's all an equal field, you know? Absolutely, if, if, man. Yeah, if donkeys start learning to write, they'll take my job. So, <laughs> you know. You know, you, know, you got to throw in Chandra, uh, Chandra Rhymes in there as well as an, a, yes. an incredible uh, creator right now. No, absolutely, absolutely, man. It's it, it's it's really starting to happen, and that's why I am I'm I feel better because I I do I, I as much as a man can understand the the cry for hey we want more representation. I do think it's mm -hmm. happening, and I do think general audiences, not just women, are responding. And the yeah. the good news is it's good product. So and thankfully oh. it's finding the eyeballs that they deserve. Oh, without a doubt. And that's that's all everybody needs to keep in mind. Are you entertained? Yes, I am. Yes. Okay, then there you go. That's all you need. Damn straight. Now, I want to know, because on the bigger picture, again, coming from that background of the direct-to-video movies and, and you know, the, the things that came before in the 80s and 90s, it really seems like uh, it, they found a new home in television as far as yep. those kinds of filmmakers and stuff. And I think it's great, and I um, it... it just like all of uh, drama, you know, having more of an opportunity to get into deeper characterization and longer stories, it's kind of cool to see that the B-movie genres of action and stuff are finding that home as well. And we're getting more, you know, like cooler things that would only be a 90-minute film that you might find at Blockbuster 30 years ago. And now instead it's, you know, a, a multi-season, really interesting character story that, that can go on a lot beyond 90 minutes. You know, you've got so many of right now. Image is doing a lot of of books that, if this was the mid '80s to the mid '90s, these would have these would have been direct to video films. Um, and I'm talking not just talking like independent, but you know, low budget, you know, direct to video. And I, I don't mean that in any kind of derogatory term. I mean that in the highest marks of really good stuff. So they're doing a lot of that right now. You, um, it's so many actors and actresses got their start in those kind of films. And I'll, I'll give you a, a heads up. Uh, he's, he's done a lot of direct video and he's also done a lot of A-list films as well. But the guy to watch out for is Scott Atkins. Um, Scott has, has been in a, a ton of, Lower budget director, but he's also. I, I think I know who you're talking about, and I just want to make sure. Isn't that the guy from Kickbox? Not Kickboxer Three, uh, Penitentiary Three. Wasn't he the Russian uh, fighter? 
Undisputed. 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 Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I yeah. think we've. You know something we've talked about Scott Atkins. I think before, but yeah, I no, I like that guy. Yeah, Undisputed Three. That's funny because I spoke to Walter Hill about the first film uh, <laughs> back uh, when I was working for Sporting News Radio, like about twelve years ago, before pre Word Balloon. But uh, we did it for the for the network and stuff. And no, I I liked him a lot in the second and third uh, Undisputed. Well, I think he is somebody that can break through. He's done some A-list films, uh, Expendables, things like that, but I think he's going to break through. And and this is something you and I talked about last time we talked, which was uh, we talked a lot about Cobb last time. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Cobb. Go on. You know, Cobb's in development for television and stuff. And and granted, uh, I get this asked a lot, who would you cast for this? Uh, As it stands right now, just personally me, I would cast Scott Adkins as Cobb. That would be great. I think he has, he definitely has the acting chops. He has all the physicality that he would need. But that's what I'm right now. You can write down Scott Adkins, Bo said, and when his time comes, uh, you know, you can say, hey, Bo Smith told me that. <laughs> but I, I truly believe that. And, you know, it was like uh, back when Dwayne The Rock Johnson did uh, the rundown. Uh, back then, and this was one of our predictions. It's still out there. I said at some point he's going to win an Oscar. And I got laughed at big sure, time. Sure, But, and not, not counting Baywatch, what, what just happened. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think he has the potential, I think, put in the right role. I think the guy is charisma and talent uh, all rolled into one. And I think at some point um, he'll win an Oscar. You know, I really do. But what did you think? Because for me, the movie that made me say this guy could handle more sophisticated material, it was Snitch. Oh, definitely. Snitch is really, I I don't know how much I've talked about it on the podcast for listeners, but if you haven't seen it, really worth renting. uh, And it's just a really good kind of, uh, yeah, well, you you would likely describe it better, Bo, because you're the professional. So how would you describe Snitch? No, it's a a perfect example of, of, I guess, the writer, director, who in, in, in that case, but they saw, obviously, they saw this in him before. The movie is, without ruining anything, it's just, like you said, it's a must-see. Yeah. I mean, it's one you've got to have in your library, and if you don't, you're really missing out on a, a true hidden gem. Because, I mean, it's an A-list cast, too. Barry Pepper is in it, and uh, and now I'm blanking. Tim Robbins' former wife, who's Susan Sarandon. Uh, Sarandon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's he's a father. His son gets picked up on a lousy charge for uh, carrying drugs, and uh, he is able to negotiate, let me get in and get the big guys. And it's and it's a one-man kind of operation against this drug cartel. And it just becomes this really, really great story. Got uh, Benjamin uh, Bratt. Oh, Brent, Benjamin Bratt's always there. You know, I mean, yeah. So it's, it's this amazing A-list cast, and The Rock is really credible as this fa- concerned father who's also, yes. you know, it's it's like the best elements of a Stallone mo- or a Schwarzenegger movie. But, it, you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson puts his own stamp on it yeah. and he's very much his own character. But it's a, it, you know, it's a classic action vehicle. But he really does. He, he he really is great in it. And it's, yeah, it's definitely a must-see. So, no, I totally agree with you on a, a guy like that. Now, one I wanted to ask you about as we're coming off of the second Guardians of the Galaxy is, and now I'm blanking on his What's his name? The... The MMA fighter. Is it um, no, uh, Dave Batista? Yeah, Dave Batista, no. who's Drax, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, what do you think of Drax's uh, potential? I tell you, there is another. Thank goodness 
in casting and directing. There are people out there that can see beyond uh, not the stereotype, but the label that, oh, this guy's a wrestler, or this guy uh, was an athlete, this guy was this, or this person, she was a mom. They can see through that stuff and, and go, this person can really bring it. And in that, with Batista, they saw not only could, can he act, he wants to act, but there's that he can emit, uh, coming from the WWE, he can emit a likability. He was a, I mean, in the WWE, he was nobody that you wanted to look cross-eyed at. And neither's Drax, for that matter. But he plays the humor brilliantly. He truly, truly does. And and I'm so glad that someone in casting or, or directing could see that or his agent could at least get someone to look. And, uh, you know, I, I always compare it to a lot of things like, you know, I'm from the from West Virginia, which is the semi-south, and there's the deep south. Right. And through the years, how many Wayne Gretzky's did we miss out on by not having hockey through the South? And how many great actors have we missed out because they have been written off as, oh, they're this, they're that. You know, they're a singer, they're an athlete, sure. and the other. Or they're big, they're little, whatever the case may be. Because growing up, if you weren't from New York and yelled a lot on stage, on live theater, then you weren't an actor. And... <laughs> I mean, I always thought, you know, pardon my language, that was a bunch of horse shit. You know, uh, just because you can yell on a stage does not mean you're an actor. And, again, I think humor, John, just just drives my influences. And, my, and I don't mean slapstick stuff, but just common sense humor drives so much of what I like and what I like to write that um, – well, a long time ago, when Neil Gaiman and I were both at Eclipse, he was writing Miracle Man for us, and, and I was working in uh, as VP of Sales and Marketing. We were talking at San Diego just briefly, and, you know, he's just the ultimate gentleman. But we were sitting there, and I <laughs> I had one of my, my Bola Duke tips for real men was out. And we were sitting there, and I said, here you go, Neil. And I signed it and gave it to him. And, you know, he looked at me, thank you very much, Bola. I, I don't think I've read one of these. It was in the back of scout. He goes, but I will. I will. I will endeavor into this. And, and we were sitting, and somebody at the table, and I wish I could remember who it was. They they looked over at Neil. They go, Neil, you think you could ever write any real man stuff? And they looked at me, Bo, could you write any of that fantasy stuff? And I, I, you know, I said I could write my own version of it. I said, but I'll tell you this. And I looked at Neil. And I said, I bet I can write a better fantasy story than you could a tough guy story. <laughs> Without missing a beat, he just looked at me and goes, well, we'll have to try that then sometime, won't we, hombre? Awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> he's such a gentleman. I mean, I was just kidding. Man. He just, he's, he's a wonderful guy, and I wish I could imitate him better. But uh, <laughs> and that just goes to show he should, if he ever wanted to, and I'm sure he could, but he should have the opportunity if he ever wanted to do a good two-fisted tales. To do that, as where someone like me, who's, you know, the old Bo, he's a stump jumper that does a lot of fist fights, I should have the opportunity, at least, to try to write, uh, what, the next Hobbit, whatever you want to sure. call it. And um, <laughs> it, it gets back to Wonder Woman and things like that. Every People shouldn't be labeled. They well, shouldn't no, be it's, stereotyped. It's, you're right, and, and certainly regional uh, stereotypes would have prevented uh, the Italian Western craze that yep. continues and... 
Every time I see I free comic book day, I picked up my issue of Tex, which again, you know, is out of the Italian publishers and stuff. And we've had great Americans go over and and uh, do the character for them as well. But those are incredible yep. westerns. And I mean, there you sit- go. And you know, what the hell does an Italian know about the old west? Got him sitting right here okay. on my table. I am not kidding. I but, believe oh, it. God. That's the best. Yeah, Those, that's absolutely, the best. absolutely. Well, no, and that's and then again, that is the great thing, and it's truly great that the audience has responded because he's, you could very easily go, well, you know, it's not written by. Well, the, I guess in Winona Earp's case, they know Emily's name first before they yep. they know your name and everything. But it's great, yep. and I'm glad that they've embraced you as as you know the father of Winona Earp as you are, and that's uh, that's fantastic. It, it, it's been wonderful because I'll tell you, and I say this kiddingly, kinda. <laughs> if if I would have known that female readers, uh, gay, lesbian, transgender readers were so wonderfully nice and polite, I would have hey, I would have been writing this stuff a long time ago because you know all my core audience, my they come up to me, hey Bo, smack, hit you on the back, good issue. Here I'm getting. Oh, that was very nice. I really like that. Here, I made this for you. You know, oh, that's I, nice. That's nice. That's kind of reader and fan, you People who make things for you, absolutely. <laughs> right now, I've got my Papa Earp hat on. I mean, you know, I love ball caps. I'm the connoisseur of great ball caps, and this is one of my favorites. Hey, did any of my male readers, my buddy, good old boy readers, get me a ball cap? No, they wanted me to pay for their beer. That's what I got. So. <laughs> I say that, Kelly, but I've got a wonderful mix of of readers. Uh, I never say fans because who in the hell could be a fan of mine? But but I got a wonderful set of readers of every walk of life, and you know, I've always uh, based all my friendships pretty much on interesting people. Some people call them weird, some would call them quirky, or they're sitting here. But if you're interesting and that's what you're bringing to the table. And it may not even come close to what my walk of life has been or, or is. That's what makes it. I've got a small circle, but man, I can tell you, everybody that's in that small circle is interesting. And that's, that's, you know, they may be awkward and be a little quirky, but they're all interesting. And man, a lot of you can learn a lot that way. That's cool. And that's you know, cool. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, obviously, uh, uh, the, the lesbian relationship that obviously is in Winona Earp as well, because Dominique is great as Waverly. And I think that it's you know handled in a in a very mature, uh, tasteful way, and I and I think that's that's great, and I'm glad to see that kind of representation, and it's uh, it it absolutely makes the show that much more interesting, and and I think uh, in, inclus- inclusive. It's not used as something exploitive. Yeah. It's 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 just the way things are in life, real life. You know, yes. you pass every day, and that's the way it's. It's it's treated, and that's something I'm real pleased with. That you know, and again, it's not exploitive. So, but I got to tell you, John, uh, you know, we've got strong female characters in this. We've got different relationships. We've got uh, people of every race, creed, and color and stuff. Yeah. But I, I'm, and then in, in comics and film and everything, I'm just I'm still missing out on when. Ugly guys like me can get their moment in the sun. I think we have been just totally forgotten. <laughs> I want more guys like me, ugly writers, to get more work and be represented better in this industry. 
<laughs> well, as an ugly podcaster, I can't disagree with that. So I, I do understand, and that you know that's you'll you'll, you'll forgive us uh, for those of you who are part of our segment of the audience. But yeah, exactly. So there you go. We'll have our day. Indeed. We will have absolutely, our day. absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I guess you could go back to the forties and fifties. A lot of those uh, classic Golden Age uh, comic book artists and stuff, as we saw in Drew Friedman's uh, latest uh, book. You know, they're 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 not uh, pinup boys or anything like that. No, 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 it's and hey, that's real life. Exactly. You know, <laughs> no, absolutely, man. Well, while uh, while I got you, yeah, is there? Well, first of all, shame on me because also at the same time that you're enjoying all this current success with Winona Earp, I'm glad that DC just re-released uh, a trade of oh. some of your classic stuff, some of your Batman and Wildcat stuff. I I was. That came out of the blue. I actually did not know anything about that till I got a letter from DC one day. You know, all the standard stuff. Hey, we're going to collect this. You know, you'll get this many copies. Please sign this, that. And I was stunned because I, I thought that was lost forever. And Chuck Dixon and I got to write the Batman Wildcat, which he and I just, it was everything in brave and bold that we loved about Batman and Wildcat at that time where, you know, hey, we're going to, not only are we going to have them fight, we're going to have them fight a bunch of villains. And at that point, a bunch of villains that would have been in a direct-to-video superhero movie. So we got that dream come true. And that actually did very well for DC. It did pretty good. So uh, at the time, and this was a time at DC when creative freedom was like, yeah, you want to do that? Sure. Oh, yeah, you want to change Guy Gardner into a girlfriend issue? Hey, go ahead. You know, they were letting us do a lot of creative stuff. Mm -hmm. So in this, mm -hmm. Chuck and I wanted to do Catwoman uh, Wildcat. And they go, well, what's you know, going to be this, that? And I, we basically said, it's going to be a violent date movie. <laughs> and and the, I remember the editor, Eddie Braganza, and Scott Peterson going, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, you know, they go, and he's a little old for us. I said, hey, I said, love has, true love has no boundaries. And neither does flirtation. So we established that it was Wildcat, even though he didn't know it, he thought he was teaching a girl. He taught her how to fight, how to box, how to fight. Yeah. And so we established that. But then there's also this, it was this student teacher relationship where she was going, okay, I'm old enough now. Ooh, I'm going to flirt with Mr. Broad shoulders here. So they had this wonderful date through this. And it is again with these direct to video type of villains. Claw hammer was his name who writes down criminal plans on the back of a McDonald's cheeseburger wrapper. So, but it, it's a, and we got away with, if you really look at that, I don't know how we got it. Chuck and I still talk about that. It was a violent issue, uh miniseries, excuse me. Mm -hmm. I mean, not gory. There's a difference between gore and violence. And this, this one went, full tilt. So it was probably the most violent date movie ever. And that's how we did it. And that's, that's what it came out. Our next series was going to be Robin Wildcat. And that was going to be basically, uh, Robin with his bad uncle, you know, the uncle that you're at a family get together and he's going, Oh yeah, here kid. Yeah. You want to sip a beer? Sure. Go ahead. And it was going to be one of those type of things where, Robin and he were, you know, just to give you an example, they were getting ready to get in a car and Wildcat's, you know, got an injury on his shoulder or something like that. And he goes, kid, you drive, throws him the keys. And Robin's going, I can drive. That man never lets me drive. You're driving tonight. You know, gives him the, you know, just the, 
all the stuff that he didn't get doesn't get to do and say with with Batman, he got to do with Wildcat, which including possibly there might have been a, a drink of beer. They're getting to drive a car without a seatbelt. And at some point we were going to have him say a word he probably shouldn't say. And he looks over at Wildcat and Wildcat's like, what? Drive. You know, sure. it's it's just the perfect nephew, bad uncle. That was how we were pitching it. But uh, at that time, then they started things just were changing at DC with different regimes and stuff. And humor, um, wasn't, uh, uh, smiled upon anymore. It was the same thing. I did my, uh, wonder woman versus Xena, the princess warrior, yes. uh, diaries. Uh, I did the whole issue. Eduardo Barreto drew the whole thing, wow. 48 prestige. And it was like one of the Xena episodes where they, you know, every once in a while they would do a humorous one. Sure, of course. That's what this was, and it was a great opportunity to see Wonder Girl and Wonder Woman, Xena and Gabrielle, all in this humor. And Mars was the the bad guy because Wonder Woman has her Mars, her Aries. Right. So did Xena. So, I mean, you got to see Xena smacking people around with a, a turkey drumstick. I mean, <laughs> it was just it was all this fun stuff. But again. They gave us, you know, they paid us for it and said, no, we're putting it away. And who knows, that may make uh, come to head one day. I mean, you never know. So, uh, God, I certainly hope whoever has the Xena rights can make it. You know, <laughs> you, you don't know. Well, maybe. The, and I thought I had heard recently that they were talking about rebooting Xena. Well, I hope so. There's another prime example of a, a TV show that was ahead of its time with strong female no characters. Question. No question. Do you, do you get me TV down there and Heroes and Icons? That's their second yes. channel? You get them both? Yeah. That's cool. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, no, it's, you know, Hercules and Xena, they back-to-back and everything. And, yeah, you know, uh, great Chicago writer, John Shulian, uh, created oh. Xena. Uh, well, that and, and, he, and the Hercules as well, those were – those both those shows, along with Briscoe County, were ahead of their time. No question about Briscoe, All yeah. Those. Oh, yeah. That was, that was a really uh, under-the-radar good time for television. It really was. Yeah, you know, it's it's true, and I, and I think – Kind of the missing link in terms of a lot of successful genre stuff today. And I, at the very least, I wonder how many of these creators today watch that stuff. Because um, even something like uh, Bilson and DeMeo did uh, The Sentinel. And The Sentinel was pretty much a superhero show without a costume. Right. You know, I mean, that's the thing. So I, I, I I think there is connective tissue in those kind of lost years before the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, and and I'll, well, really starting off with uh, Wesley Snipes and Blade, yep. as far as far as you know, the the comic book movie finally kind of getting its shit together and, and getting, starting to get good movies. TV shows that I think influenced so many people that are doing television and comics and films now. That's it was that's a really good point, John, because I think that was a a true hidden gem time. For a, a lot of television, then, well, without a doubt. Well, and again, that was just you know first run syndication or the cable, you know, more more the major networks and stuff. Now we're in this you know oversaturation of different platforms and channels, and mm-hmm. so many good again a lot of good things I think are flying under the radar because yep. you know you can only spend so much time and so you know to watch these things. Again, hell, I'm a year late on Winona Earp. I knew I was eventually going to sit down and watch it. <laughs> Really, and I and I was I was really happy for you. I was happy for Allison, and uh, really glad that everything was received as well as it was. And as I said, this this conversation was uh, was a long time coming. 
and also hope to uh, Allison's like, hey man, you know what? I, I can t- get you some of the other people from the show, and I'm like, God, that'd be great. Would love to talk to Emily. Would love to talk to Tim. So, oh gosh, you Emily is. You'd feel like you had to charge, uh, pay her to. T- I mean, she is so entertained. She's so quick. She, I, t- I tell her all the time. I said, you know, you're the you're the daughter. You're the younger sister. I wish I had that was. Uh, the same brain as me, only a hell of a lot smarter, a lot quicker. I mean, she is just, she's a pleasure to, to listen to. She, uh, there was one other person that has that much energy and that's Billy Tucci. She has, <laughs> she has Billy Tucci's energy with a brilliant writer's mind. And, and you can tell Billy, I said, <laughs> she does. She has, she has all of his energy and she is just nonstop entertainment. She's, she really is a smart, smart writer. And this, the television show would not, without her uh, uh, brain behind it and the brilliant casting of Melanie as Winona are two key things. Because we looked at over 300 auditions for Winona Earp, 300. And you would think a lot of people, you know, you just go, oh, gosh, pick one. But she... She was able to shine out of 300 and a lot of those. I had a top 10 list, and I could have easily made it 50. Uh, there were that many really good actresses trying out for that part. But, and what I think nailed it for her was her comedic timing. She she was brilliant. She's great. She's a, she's a, a tremendous lead. And, again, Dominique is great as her sister. The whole cast. Oh. Shamir is amazing. Uh, oh. you, we haven't talked about him, but he, you know, great – Great character. And also, just little changes, man. Like, you had, like, the Monster Squad for the original run and everything. And I, I love that Emily's like, man, Black Badge. And I, and it's like, that's, you know, that's a that's a nice, you know, writer's note of, oh, no, actually, Black Badge is, a lo- like, a little more mysterious and cooler and everything. Did you call okay. it Black Badge? Am I misremembering? Uh, Black Badge from day one, 1996. Well, shame on me. <laughs> uh, formed by... Uh, Teddy Roosevelt back in the day. So see, there's a lot of history that can go back yes. to to all that. And which, you know, as long as the comic book keeps coming out, I'll I'll get a chance to uh, do that. I've, I've made a lot of references throughout the time. And that was one of the things that, that she liked out of it. And she also liked the fact that I had a criminal, paranormal criminal uh, organization and hierarchy in the fact that immortals were the top of the food chain, vampire nation. But you also had werewolves you had goblins you had zombies you had everything all just like in real life with a uh, organized crime and because they you know they cheat on their taxes and they knock off liquor stores just like everybody else and black badge being a covert uh part of the u.s marshal corps they hunt fugitives and they do witness protection so it was just applying all that to paranormal organized crime poc as we always called it and that's what um, black badge was was has always been all about. There's something about westerns combined with supernatural. I mean, you know, Jonah Hex. You know, we've we've had little dashes of it in that and weird weird western tales from DC back in the day. I can't think of a Marvel equivalent back then that did you know. Uh, no, other than say Red Wolf, but that that they used uh, you know standard uh, Indian mysticism. And shaman, you know, yeah. uh, medicine 
Batman type stuff. But other than that, it was pretty much the modern version was pretty much straight ahead. He was he was Batman with a furry cow. And it, I always thought those stories were actually pretty good once they got him into modern times with that Western uh, uh, sensibility. I tell you, a character that I always wanted to, uh, besides Red Wolf at Marvel, get a hold of was Wyatt Wingfoot. Sure. I always thought there's another character that can be a lot of things. To me, he was, uh, uh, I mean, nothing labeling wise, but to me, he w- he would have been the perfect uh, Doc Savage type of character for the Marvel Universe. I could see that. Sure. He was strong. He was smart. He had a lot of different connections within the superhero world. And I always saw him getting the misfits together to um, to do you know to do better things or to do good things. He didn't have to have the A list superheroes on his side. He could have had a lot of uh, the B-listers, as they call them, yeah. whether it's uh, the Human Fly or uh, Skull the Slayer. I mean, there's just a lot of them that, that could have found homes with. That's interesting. With, no, that's really uh, interesting. And I always felt his introduction in the Fantastic Four story was just so crazy because literally it's in the <laughs> same pages of the wrap-up to Galactus. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh, Johnny's going to school. Hey, how you doing? I'm Wayne Wingfoot. I'm your new roommate. And it's like, what the hell's going on? Wait a minute. We were just, we were like, worlds were colliding here, man. This was big intergalactic <laughs> stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, Johnny's in college. And here's his Native American yeah. roommate. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's Riverdale. Uh, yes. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it was I always, I get, I would, I'd like to guess that Stan had some idea for the future Plot, but you know he was writing everything. Where he's plotting everything, running around like a madman. I'm sure he he had some sort of plan for Wyatt Wingfoot at that time, but never got to uh, uh, see it out to fruition. But uh, uh, I'll be glad to pick up those reins. That's for sure. There are a lot of misfit Marvel characters because I got to say, other than writing Wolverine versus She with Billy, mm-hmm. um, in all my 30 years, I have yet to write a Marvel comic oh, wow. and. And that, you know, and like I said earlier, I'm 62. Tick tock, tick tock. Do you feel this that, way? Because honestly, man, I'm, I'm, I'm 10 years behind you. It's, yeah, the clock's running. It's not that we're done. It's just that we're just aware of time. And it's like, yes, yeah. let's keep doing it. And that's, as you said, I'm really happy for your success at this time because that's great, man. It's just all it, I imagine, and it certainly sounds like it, all it can do is just energize the creative juices even more. And make you want to make more. It, it definitely has. I mean, with right now, uh, I got a very nice compliment uh, the other day. You know, I, I, like I said, I gave out the list of how many wine owner herbs we were doing, and it's all with um, our editor Carlos Guzman. He's he's been the editor for every one of them. And Tim and I handed in issue three of Wine Owner Herb uh, Season Zero, and I got a, a, just an email from him, and he said, "This is the greatest wine owner herb story." I've ever read. I can hardly re- wait to read the next one. And this is issue three. We're right in the middle of a thing. And to have him say that about something, you know, Tim and I did. And, and for first of all, from Tim to have an editor, you know, he hasn't been writing that long. That was a huge compliment. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I've been writing for 30 years. And to have that just it made my day. I mean, it, it you know, you're right in a room by yourself all day and you kind of wonder, am I the only person, you know, that's enjoying this? And then to have your editor who's so close to the project really to say that, that, that meant a whole lot to me. That's awesome. So, you know, it also tells me that, Hey, you know, maybe some other people like this too, because we're, we're doing something different with, um, season zero. We're, 
Emily gave me a gift in the fact that in the series, uh, season one, she, she mentions that Winona Earp rode with a biker gang called the Banditos. Mm-hmm. She, from episode one, Winona Earp wears around her neck a key. And Agent Lucado, towards the end of season one, really shook Winona Earp when she looked at her and said, we know what you did. Talking about her past. And it shook Winona Earp. Well, Emily gave me the gift of, Bo, won't you address those three things in the comic book series? She goes, you tell everybody what they are. You make it up. You decide what it is. So within season zero, I get to do that. And you think about the generosity on her end for, I mean, these are things that she could have, you know, easily done in season two, three, I mean, big reveals. She gave me not just one, but she goes, here are three reveals. You create them. And that, that's, that's huge generosity. And, uh, hopefully I can repay that with, with Tim and I with, uh, these really good stories. And with my editor, Carlos, saying that, I, I told Tim, I said, I, I think we're uh, on our way to doing that. That's awesome. And Angel Hernandez is doing a great job drawing it. You know, Chris Evanhuse has been, had been drawing it, and Chris just, Chris can draw. So many oh, artists can draw. I, yeah, yeah, I apologize, Chris. <laughs> I'll, I'll say sorry about that because I see Angel did the previous uh Stuff. No, no, no. Chris, Chris Evan Hughes did the previous stuff. No, you, you were 100% right. And he, unlike a lot of artists who want to do action, 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 are great, Chris always wants to do the acting. Cool. I mean, those, and he's incredible at these emotional, whether they're funny, sad, or bittersweet, he just pulled off acting like nobody's business. So, you know, he's doing his own series now. So we've got Angel doing, uh, Season zero. Okay. And, oh my gosh, we were, you know, we were at all. What do you do when you lose somebody like Chris, who is, you know, across between John Bissema and Kevin McGuire? I mean, just this wonderful stuff. And we got Angel, and we looked at a lot of people, and Angel was it, and Angel turned in the pencils for those first issue, two issues. It's, oh my gosh, now you're going to see the action. You are going to, and not only that, but you're going to see the resemblances are there, the acting's there, but oh my gosh, you're going to see teeth dancing on a tabletop like it was prom night. <laughs> I am not joking. And I don't mean your typical superhero, you know, this, that, and the other. I mean stuff to where if you've been in one fight in your life, you're going to experience that over in this issue, this series. It's Oh, some amazing shots. His work with, with these Western-like vistas, because we're having this happen in the desert. Uh, it's a John Ford, Walter Hill type of look. Uh, oh, I'm just – and I, I got I got and Sam Peckinpah, I have to tell you, he um, – and this isn't giving anything away because it's established in the first issue. The This all builds up to a main battle. And the battle is at the Bloody Porch, which if you saw the Wild Bunch, then you know where this transpires. So this – actually, season zero is, is Tim and I's tribute to Walter Hill and Sam Peckinpah. That's the best way to 
Well, that, that that's fantastic. That's excellent, man. So, is season zero a finite series, or is it going to be ongoing? It's five issues okay. because we want to do like a lot. What the British have done so well with television, they have regular series, but they give them in like six episode arcs. Yeah. Then you get your next one. And I've always felt we should do that more over here, which they kind of are in some with the new distribution stuff. But that's what we're wanting to do with this because if we give them an arc. And without it dragging into 12, 13, 14, you know, this way there's a beginning, a middle, and end. And like Lost, once they said we're going to end it here, man, you, instead of getting all the, the great early season, you got this killer bang, bang, bang last few seasons. So that's the way we look at that. This is five issues. And, and well, there's a perfect example with Carlos saying number three was the best thing he's ever read. We're right in the middle then. I can't ask for anything better. We must be what we're doing, what we're supposed to do. That's awesome, man. So, uh, is has this first issue come out, or is it? Uh, it's getting ready to. It's it's we're doing the third, so uh, it's. I don't have my previews in front of me. My memories is about as long well, as my nice couple of weeks. All right, I'll I'll, I'll probably yeah. fix it when I uh, when I talk about it. But yeah, I saw on the cover that it was June of this year, so I assumed that okay, it's either coming out. Uh, the seventh or it's coming out obviously later this month. That's awesome. man. Yep. Well, and again, the TV show starts back up on the ninth and yep. uh, that's fantastic. And seriously, man, nice going. And I'm so glad that Ted had the faith in it that he did oh. and uh, that, you know, he got it in front of the right people. And um, yeah, I think this is a win-win. And I, and I think that's wonderful that you and Emily have this great working relationship and <laughs> that's great. I think yep. it's all, you know, are you, do you get to talk and, and uh, pitch any ideas for any of the, the TV we, stuff? We, we have not in season one. Season one had to get out sure. and get right. She had to establish. We've kind of bounced up back and forth. She's been very, again, gracious enough to go, I may have to steal that bow, but we need to talk about that later. You know, cool. and in fact, like with the character Valdez that I created in One on Earth, she's going, where am I going to find a six foot five, 200 pound actress to play this character that I love? So. <laughs> You never, you know, and you also got to remember the, uh, and I did this a while back in Winona Earp, um, the original issues. Uh, you know, there's a character named Smitty. Looks a lot like a guy I'm, uh, I see in the mirror every day. <laughs> and I've always been figured a lot of people, oh, Bo, that's an ego, or Bo, do you ever feel guilty about that? And I said, no. If you can't own your own likeness, well, what the hell's it worth breathing? You know, I've got this chance to do comic books. I'm, more of a character than any weirdo I know. So, you know, stick him up there. And so, Hey, one day we may get to see Smitty on the screen and horrified millions. So it's your Hitchcock <laughs> moment. I think that would be very, or Stan Lee moment for younger listeners and stuff. No, I think that's great. <laughs> you know, and if, if this character Smitty gets to show up, you know, like he is in the comic book a lot, which he, he's in there a lot. Um, it's another one of those characters I just can't let go of. But, uh, yeah, you never know, bud. A lot of things can happen, and, and, you know, and if it all ends tomorrow, hey, I've had a year and a half of the most fun I could ever have, and I've gotten a new family, and uh, and they're always, you know, a new family's always better than the old family. <laughs> so it works out, it works out great. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy uh, just to be able to be writing comic books, which I've been wanting to do since the third grade, and I've, I'm very fortunate this year, Mark's, 30 years I've, I've, I've got to do it. And, uh, I just, you know, I can't think of, uh, I can't think of much better other than a bag of chocolate donuts in one hand and a stun gun in the other. And 
a room full of people I don't like, I'd be real happy. <laughs> well, congratulations, man. That's great. And I'm excited to hear that uh, Cobb is uh, being knocked around in development. So hopefully uh, we'll have another Bo Smith-inspired series uh, come to life. I've, uh, that's always been my favorite of, of your stuff, Bo, so I'm, I'm rooting for you. Well, I can't thank you enough. And that, that's, that's seriously, John, after we did the podcast and last uh, time and we talked predominantly about Cobb, I had such an immense amount of response of people that listened to that, didn't know about the series, went and picked it up, and I thank you from the bottom of my black sin-filled heart because you really – Really got the word out on that's that. That's awesome. Well, hey, that's that's fine. It's great stuff, and I'm happy to point people in the right Thanks. direction. And you're killing it with Winona. So uh, keep up the great work, and uh, we will not let uh, as many years uh, go by for our next conversation. <laughs> All right. I'd hate to have to owe you money that just to make you talk to me no, more. No, never. <laughs> All right, buddy. Man, it's been far too long since we've had Bo Smith on Word Balloon. Got to get him back uh, sooner than later for the next conversation. In the meantime, enjoy these great Winona Earp uh, books from IDW. You can get the Winona Earp Legends uh, books. There's the Doc Holliday miniseries and uh, also the Earp Sisters and, of course, the ongoing Winona Earp Season Zero. Really, really great stuff from uh, all the uh, writers and artists and, of course, uh, like I said, Winona Earp's father, Bo Smith himself. So check out all that great product from IDW. And, again, the uh, TV series is back uh, Friday night on Sci-Fi Channel. I'm sure there's going to be a big Winona Earp, uh, you know, marathon leading up to that uh, new issue of or new episode of season two on Friday night. Word Balloon today was brought to you by InStock Trades and InStockTrades.com, and uh, some of the cool books from InStock Trades. Uh, how about going back to the uh, the event DC Event Zero Hour, and they've collected uh, Batman Zero Hour, which uh, has a lot of neat stuff. There's uh, a Doug Munch doing the writing, Mike Manley doing the art, and there's uh, a lot of really interesting stories in here. It collects Batman Zero and 511, Shadow of the Bat Zero and 31, Detective Comics Zero and 678, Catwoman Zero and 14, Legends of the Dark Knight Zero, Robin Zero, and Issue 10. Very neat stuff. 45% off, just $13.74. You can get Abe Sapien, trade paperback uh, volume 9, Lost Lives and Other Stories, Featuring uh, work from uh, Mike Mignola and Mike Avon Oming, among uh, others that are on here. John Accordi is on there, and uh, Kevin Nolan, and uh, lots of other cool people. Of course, wonderful Dave Stewart coloring. 42% off, it's just $11.59. Injustice, Gods Among Us, year five. Is this Bucolato? It is. It's Brian Bucolato and Mike S. Miller. Uh, I'm a big fan of Injustice. We talk a little bit about Injustice on the next uh, Word Balloon episode. I'll tease that at the end of the show. But you can get this collection for 45% off, $13.74. Very excited that uh, Tom has begun uh, Injustice Volume 2. Tom Taylor, our, our good friend. New Avengers by Brian Bendis, the complete collection. This is Trade Paperback Volume 5. And uh, this features, man, Free Comic Book Day 2009. New Avengers 55 through 64, uh, Dark Reign, The List, uh, New Avengers Annual number three, New Avengers Finale, and material from Amazing Spider-Man 601, and Breaking into Comics, The Marvel Way. Very cool. Uh, it's 408 pages, and it is 42% off. It's just $20.29. So these are just a few of the great books that are available at InStockTrades.com. 
Check it all out, and don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping from InStockTrades.com. Okay, thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Next episode, I wanted to make sure that was in the can before I started promoting it, but man, Wonder Woman had such a wonderful opening last weekend, so uh, it's a good opportunity to talk to uh, our favorite Wonder Woman here on Word Balloon, and that is Susan Eisenberg, uh, the voice of Wonder Woman from the Justice League cartoon and the two Injustice video games, including the new one. Also, a new, uh, another new video game that's online. Um, DCU Age of Justice. Um, feature, good, good Wonder Woman storyline there. We talk about that, but it's great to welcome Susan back to Word Balloon. And there you go. The through thread continues. We start off with TV. We got into female heroes on television with Winona Earp. And now it's uh, time to talk about Wonder Woman and acknowledge that that great opening and great movie that Patty Jenkins, Gal Gadot, and, and company have given us. Uh, really, I love the film and uh, was really happy that it was as good as, as everyone was saying it was as the film was being hyped. It's always nice when the, the, the reality actually meets the hype. And I think we got that in Wonder Woman. So it's a great chance to talk to Susan about some of her new projects, her feelings about the movie, her experiences on the red carpet. She got to be there at the uh, at the world premiere. So a uh, neat opportunity to talk to Susan Eisenberg on the next Word Balloon and talk a little Wonder Woman. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017.